I invite you, um, am I on here? I want to invite you to turn to uh, the book of Genesis, chapter 41. In Genesis chapters 37 to 50, Moses is describing for us how God transforms a profoundly broken family and causes them to become a company of peoples. It's a redemption story. We love redemption stories. God causes them to become, this this broken family causes them to become a harmonious, worshiping, spiritual community, bringing the blessings of God to bear upon the nations. What's the greatest obstacle you are aware of to you becoming a vital, contributing member of a healthy and harmonious, worshiping, spiritual community that that can be a blessing to our city and blessing to the nations. If we took a survey uh, based on your own personal experiences, what would you say are the most significant challenges to becoming a lay-down-your-life Love for one another, Christ-centered community. We, we all have these challenges. What holds you back? Is it shame? Once you know what I'm really like, you're going to be headed straight for the nearest exit from my life. Or is it bitterness and indignation? I, I had dreams. I trusted God. I took risks made sacrifices, lost it all. Mm. Is it envy? Those people, they get get all the perks. Everything always seems to be smooth sailing for them. Is it unresolved offenses? They did me wrong. Is it fear? I've been burned before. I'm not making myself vulnerable again? Or is it resignation? Yeah, I've tried, tried, tried. It's just not worth it. These are a few of the obstacles the Lord was at work to overcome in Jacob and in Joseph and in their broken family system in order to make them into a spiritual community that would bless the nations. I've entitled the sermon, Encouragement When Scars Remain. Uh, You know, physical scar, I know that you know, it's a, a fibrous tissue that replaces normal skin after a wound begins to heal. It's a natural part of the body's healing process. However, depending on how deep or severe the wound, scars can remain. I have a scar right here. (laughs) Um, I incurred this scar when I was 12 years old. So it's an old scar. Been there for 50 years. I I was with a, a friend. We found this old dump ground discovered a box of old bottles, and we just had the greatest time chucking these bottles at uh, rocks and shattered them, except one of the bottles I did not realize was already broken, and when I let her fly, it just went 
on, almost lost the end of my finger. And um, to this day, 50 some years later, it, because of nerve damage, totally healed. But man, that's sensitive. I just put my finger across it and I just, whoo. And uh, d- depending on how um, deep the, uh, the wound, it, it can remain, the scar remains and it remains sensitive. There's also relational and emotional and spiritual scars. And depending on how deep or severe those wounds may be, these scars, though they are in and of themselves evidence of some measure of healing, they can remain quite sensitive and be enduring obstacles to becoming a healthy, harmonious, lay-down-your-life-for-one-another Christ-centered community. Moses wrote Genesis 41 to provide spiritual therapy for just such wounds. We've already been shown the profound and prolonged wounding inflicted on Joseph's life as the object of his father's dysfunctional favoritism. He became the focal point of his own brother's jealousy and hatred. And by them, his own brothers, he was betrayed and bartered as just any other earthly commodity. He was slandered for his attempt at fidelity and purity and integrity. And for that, he suffered in an Egyptian prison for 13 years. I mean, I I think of uh, the impact on... uh, Edmond's wasted years in the Chateau d'If in the Count of Monte Cristo. But then came this unanticipated deliverance and an even more unanticipated reversal of his fortune. And it's to this new development, this turning point in the narrative that we, we now give our attention. And I want to invite you to follow along. I'm going to read Genesis 41. I'm I'll read verses 39 through 52. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck and he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. And thus he set him, set Joseph over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphenoth Paneah. And he gave him in marriage to Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. 
And so Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Verse 50. Two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore them to him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For, he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. This is God's holy and authoritative word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, it is through your holy, inspired, authoritative word that with the ministry of your Holy Spirit, you communicate yourself to us. You bring your presence to bear upon us. You reveal yourself to us. You turn the light on and bring illumination to our souls. You beget faith. You transform lives. You set captives free. You change things, you get things done. And you do it in a way that flesh and blood cannot. And that is our hope and that is our anticipation that, that Lord, again, as you communicate yourself to us today, that you would, you would bring your saving power and presence, your transforming power and presence, your redeeming power and presence to bear upon our lives. Give us breakthroughs, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. My aim in this sermon is to encourage you, um, to encourage you, no matter, no matter how severe the wounds or how tough or sensitive the emotional scar tissue may be in your life, to entrust yourselves to God and to take steps to press further in and to become what He, by His sovereign and saving grace, has purposed you to be. Namely, a, a, I'm speaking to all of you now, a lay-down-your-life-love-for-one-another Christ-centered community. A company of peoples. These sermons are aimed at building a church. A church that plants churches. And God willing, my prayer is that this sermon might contribute to that end by, and I'm going to do two things here. I want to draw your attention to the scars that remained in Joseph's life. And two, I want to point you to the transformational process the Lord used to, to reframe Joseph's perspective on those remaining scars and to grow in Joseph, a wisdom born in suffering that blessed the nations. So, let's look first at the scars that remained. Joseph's, it's a meteoric rise from the deepest pit to the second most powerful man in the world, essentially, happened, this happened in a matter of hours. 
Just like that. And it happened, we know, because Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, dreamed two dreams. And in his dreams, Pharaoh found himself standing beside the, the Nile, which was the source of Egypt's prosperity. So it's really of little account then when in his dreams, Pharaoh saw, first of all, seven fat cows coming up out of the river. What, what really caused him to kind of, I think, probably wake up in a cold sweat was when he saw seven other cows, thin, evil-looking, coming up behind the fat cows, and they promptly ate the seven fast, fat cows and gained no, no discernible weight themselves in consuming these cows. After that, Pharaoh fell asleep and dreamed a second dream. And in the second one, he sees seven fat ears of grain. Seven fat ears of grain on a single stalk, which, again, is a clear sign of remarkable abundance and prosperity. But then these seven thin ears, wilted by the the dry, scorching east wind off the desert, spring up behind them and swallow them up. And... uh, Pharaoh was unsettled by this. Perhaps what was more unsettling was that not one of his magicians or wise men were able to interpret the meaning of these dreams. Look at verse 8. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but... There was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. And to drive home this truth that there's like zero human resources out there that are of any help, Moses records Pharaoh's testimony again later in verse 24. He says, I told it to the magicians, but there was no one of all the magicians, all the wise men in all Egypt that could explain it to me. And so we come to the turning point. After two years, no, no, not two years, two whole years, chapter 41, verse 1, it was now the cupbearer's cue to remember Joseph. And faced with this very same need two years earlier, the cupbearer remembered how it was Joseph who had interpreted his own dreams. And hence, Joseph's sudden and hasty summons from the pit. Moses clearly means for us to feel, feel the contrast of Joseph's waiting and waiting and waiting two whole years to be remembered with now Pharaoh lighting a fire under his servants in verse 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. It's it's, it's worth noting that Joseph's previous wounds, each of them, involved him being stripped of his clothes, right? His his brothers ripped off his fancy robe. Potiphar's wife ripped off his outer garment. But now at this turning point, this pivotal moment of his restoration, it begins 
with the transformation of his clothing. And of course, most of us are familiar, we've read this story before, we're familiar with what happens next. God gives Joseph the interpretation of the dreams, namely there's going to be seven years of great abundance throughout the land of Egypt to be followed by seven years of catastrophic global famine. And further, God not only grants Joseph the interpretation, but he grants to him a wise application of the dreams that would involve establishing overseers, set aside 20% of the produce gathered during the seven plentiful years so that there would be reserves on hand during the seven hard years. And and, and so this this God-inspired plan and application of the prophetic dream resulted in Joseph's stunning elevation. And it resulted, I believe, in, in really significant healing. Six years of healing. Joseph's plan worked. The, the, the grain was successfully set aside in, in just such enormous quantities it was compared to the sands of the sea. And it couldn't be quantified. It massive success, massive, great success can have a healing effect on great suffering. But in spite of the healing, Joseph's scars Remained, and I get that from verses 50 through 52. Look at this again. It says, Before the, the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore them to him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh because, he said, God made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. For, sounds like healing, right? You know, it's just not impacting me the way it did. The name of the second he called Ephraim because God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Now, don't miss the the irony of naming one's sons forgetful. Time, comfort, success, peace would make Joseph forget to a significant degree his sufferings and his, the woundings that had been afflicted on him. However... Names and meanings of names are remembered. Our, our sons all, we, we, we named them. There were meaning, meanings attached to those names. When I think of my sons, when I look at my sons, when I call them by their name, that meaning remains, right? So, so calling his son Manasseh actually assured the perpetual remembering of what he was claiming that he was forgetting. Every time he looked at Ephraim and said his name, it would reprise these painful memories and the reality of a scar that would not go away. 
You just don't forget these things. Perhaps you wrestle with the reality of some life-shaping events in your storyline that you simply cannot forget. You just get kind of close to remembering them and it kind of, you you just sort of tense up. You, You feel it. They may be terrible sins that others have committed against you. Or, alternatively, it is the mental replay of your own sins and wrong decisions that haunt you like a bad dream. And further, these painful memories from your past continue to affect the way you respond to events and situations in the present. Yeah, sure, there's been some measure of healing. You don't think about them all the time. It doesn't, doesn't just kind of lay you wasted, but boy, all you have to do is just a certain thing or a certain trigger, a certain this or a certain that, boom, it just comes right back. And you view people and you view relationships around you in the present through the lens of those intense, intensely painful events from your past. And the result, like sensitive scar tissue is turmoil and tenseness in your reactions. And you may even have some well-meaning loved ones that just tell you, why can't you just get over that? You know, just let that go. How? How? There are some scars that remain. And here's where Joseph's naming his sons Manasseh and Ephraim served to really reframe the significance of his past by putting those wounds into the context of what God had been and God was continuing to do in his life. Listen, Joseph's sons became a permanent enduring testimony to God's providence and God's presence and God's promise to redeem the past. Of course, Joseph could never completely forget his experience of hardship at the hand of his brothers. Those terrible years of unjust affliction in Egypt was going to remain with him all of his days. Nevertheless, from this point on, he would remember it through the lens of God's providence, through the lens of God's presence, through the lens of God's promise. And it was through this framework that God would shape Joseph into an extraordinary agent in the context of his broken family becoming a company of peoples, a spiritual community to bless the nations. So let's think of now of the encouragement here in these remaining scars. God's providence, let's start there. God's providence functioning in Joseph's life to reframe his perspective on the remaining scars in his life. Contrary 
to those who seem to find some consolation in their tragedies by completely denying the superintendence of God over those tragedies. Joseph, like thousands upon thousands upon thousands of others, found his life transformed as he entrusted himself to God's sovereign hand in them, in those tragedies, and over those tragedies. Just, Just look at how he frames his perspective. Verse 51. God has made me. Verse 52. God has made me. That's, that's the worldview that, that governs Joseph's framework. In verse 16, Joseph tells Pharaoh, God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Verse 25, God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Verse 28, it is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Verse 32, the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God. And God will shortly bring it about. God is over it. He's over the weather. He's over the seasons. He's over the famines. He's over Pharaoh. He's ruling and reigning. God is working all things out according to the purpose of his will. And loved ones, the maladies that we live with and the tragedies we endure do not define us. Nor do they define who God is. Rather, God, by His providence, is the one who defines our circumstances. We're not victims. He has designed the redemptive process of our lives in such a way as to require suffering. Scott Schaum, with whom I'm going to spend some time this coming week, uh, has written a brilliant book called The Uninvited Companion. Here's what he writes. What if the hardships we find ourselves in today are not only for our benefit? What if God is doing something in us that will cost us much and immensely benefit others. What if we looked at life from that angle? Like from the angle of the cross. This is the exact angle by which Joseph is viewing his suffering. Certainly scars remained, but they become, Joseph's scars had become so, become incorporated, incorporated so beautifully into the intricate pattern, an epic poem God had providentially written of his life. And by faith, 
By faith, Joseph named his sons so as to never forget it. It's years later when Joseph tells his own brothers, the very ones who had afflicted such wounding on his life. This is Genesis chapter 45, verse 5. He says, Do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. God sent me before you to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. Loved ones, our scars can bring healing and blessing to others. Sometimes even to those who caused the pain. And so we entrust ourselves to God's providence. Change everything. There's also encouragement that comes from God's manifest presence. It's... it's, it's it's these manifestations of God's presence, God's grace, God's activity that reframe our perspective on our remaining scars. The main thing that Moses draws attention to in Genesis chapter 41 verses 1 through 36 is a long section. The main thing is the revelation of God and his manifest presence and activity through dreams. There are dozens of references. Well, maybe not dozens. There are several references to the dreams, but let me just draw your attention to do two. Verse 25, Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. And this is the key phrase. God has revealed to Pharaoh. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Verse 28. There's a key phrase. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Sam Storm says the God of the Bible is speaking, communicative, and ever-revealing God. We hear God's voice preeminently in and through the written word of Scripture. This is God's authoritative word. But there are frequently occasions when we experience the manifest presence of God in other non-authoritative ways. Have you ever had a specific Scripture just kind of come to your mind in a moment in a circumstance as you're praying for somebody scripture comes to mind have you ever had a, um, a thought come into your head some impression for someone that was edifying God did that God did that. According to God's sufficient and authoritative word, God communicates himself by means, means, other means that are subject to his authoritative word, 
means that are non-authoritative. According to God's sufficient and authoritative word, God communicates himself by means sometimes of an actual audible voice. Abraham, Moses, Samuel, Elijah, John the Baptist, Peter, James, John. Incidents where entire crowds of people heard the Lord speak out loud. God communicates himself through angelic messengers and visions. God communicates himself through creation. A little over a year ago... um, uh, it, it was it, it was uh, late one night, and uh, I, I was awakened by a voice. It was not m- my voice. It was not Lori's voice. It was not my son's voice who was in the house. Um, but it was a voice, and it was most certainly in my head. Is this this is like maybe happened? I don't know once or twice before. But the voice said. Okay, fully, I won't weird you out too much here, but um, the voice said, I'm about to bring people to Emmaus Road Church, people who are in a season of life with experience and maturity and resources to strengthen this church. Now, if it hadn't been like two in the morning, I probably would have laughed out loud because like the only people in our church at that time the, the only people in our church at that time that were over like 39, 39 years of age were Lori and me. And, um, you know, everybody else was a lot younger and probably 99% of them had zero resources. So why is anybody going to, in, in midlife, want to join a fledgling church plant? But over the next nine months... I counted at least six households, six households where the people were 40 years old and over that became regular worshipers with us. It was a, it's been a game changer. We are at such a different place than we were a little over a year ago. And it was encouraging to me, even though I didn't see it happen for a while. God communicates himself by means of dreams and spiritual impressions. I I thought of this because it was just 16 years ago this past week on Columbus Day that I nearly drowned in a bodyboarding incident on the north shore of Oahu. Um, I still have some emotional scar tissue about that when I think about it. Uh, But on the way home, having survived this near drowning, I got a call from a friend of mine asking me if I was okay. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm okay. And they said, well, you know, at 8.30 this morning, I just had this unusual urgency to pray that God would protect you. It was at 8.30 that morning that I took that second wave right on the top of my head, held me down for like two, three minutes. I I had a what we call a cessationist pastor friend here in town tell me a couple weeks ago that he had had a dream one night. He had a dream one night that he was in this intense meeting with people from his church that were seeking his resignation. It was very painful. And then that meeting, which he didn't see coming other than because of the dream, happened like two weeks later. He says to me, he says, I don't even believe in this stuff. 
I don't believe in prophecy. I don't believe in dreams. I don't believe any of that. But, you know, I think God was, was preparing me so that I'd have the courage and clear thinking I needed to face that situation. I said, maybe it was God. We're continuationists. We believe that the Bible is the, it's the revelation of the authoritative word of God for all of God's people, for all time. And we also believe that God, God's all-sufficient authoritative word teaches us that dreams and visions and audible voices and inaudible voices and spiritual impressions and promptings are divine, but non-authoritative manifestations of God's presence for specific people or groups for specific points in time. The point of Genesis 41, 1 through 36, is that Pharaoh's dreams were from God. They were not scripture. Joseph's interpretation of the dreams and the application of Pharaoh's dreams were from God. But they were not authoritative. And both the dreams and the interpretations were manifestations of the active presence and power of God. Look at verse... Verses 38 to 39. Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. But see, see, now here's the point. The scars of Joseph's afflicted, ruined, and up to that point apparently wasted life were no hindrance, no hindrance whatsoever to his experience of these God-given manifestations of God's grace. Joseph may have been cut off from family. He he may have been cut off from meaningful work. He may have been cut off from vital relationships. He might have been cut off from spiritual community. He might have been cut off from any clear sense of what his future held. But Joseph was not removed from the active presence of God made manifest through the ministry of the Spirit of God. And it changed everything. It changed redemptive history. Dreams. This is why we exhort one another to trust the promise of Acts chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. The prophet says, In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. And even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And this is why we exhort one another to fan the flame and obey the authoritative apostolic command of 1 Corinthians 14, 1 and 3. Pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. 
Especially that you may prophesy. Especially that you may receive revelation. Because the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. For the sake of becoming a company of peoples. Listen, there are, there are folks with deep, deep wounds, with scar tissue. Um, as uh, Jack Deere says, as, as hard and impenetrable as Kevlar around their hearts. There are people in this room like that. You've, you've, you hear the word of God preached. You've attended years of worship gatherings. You have participated in dozens and dozens and countless dozens of Bible studies and community groups. And it has phased you zero. I, I know that you think we plan this, right? I know you do. It is not... None of that has phased you. And as Jack Deere says, nothing short of God dropping down into those broken places through a divine and discernible prophetic word of revelation is going to penetrate and heal so that you can get on. Oh, earnestly desire and passionately pursue and intentionally give careful attention to dreams and spiritual impressions and promptings under the Word of God to the degree and to the degree that God imparts to you faith and express them so that we might be consoled and that we might be encouraged and that we might be built up into a company of peoples, a harmonious Worshipping, laid down our life, love for one another, Christ-centered community. Here's the last thing. I think this text helps us to see how God's promises and their fulfillment function to reframe our remaining scars. There's encouragement that we gain from God's promises. And probably the most powerful means of encouragement there is for broken, scarred people in their process of transformation, in their process of redemption, in their process of being developed and built into a healthy, harmonious, worshiping spiritual community is God's promise to make them such. Generations earlier, God had promised. God had promised. Just as Genesis 12, 3. I will bless those who bless you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And then look what happens. Look what happens just three generations later. This is Genesis 41. Verse 43. They called out before Joseph, Bow the knee. Verse 49, Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea. Verse 57, moreover, all 
the earth. That's just another way of saying all the peoples, all the nations came to Egypt, to Joseph, to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. Jacob, I'm sorry, Joseph bore his scars, but God keeps his promises. Jesus, resurrected and glorified body, still bears the scars of his suffering, but they are made beautiful by the fruit they bear in the fulfillment of God's redemptive purposes. Jesus is never going to forget the cross. Jesus is never going to forget the suffering at the hands of his brothers. But neither will Jesus forget the fruit of what that suffering in the fulfillment of the promise of building his church. A new family of men and women from every tribe and nation who now receive new life from his hands. Those scars remain, loved ones. Trust the Lord's providence. Earnestly pursue His manifest presence. Rely on the fulfillment of His promises. Now let's pray. I know, Lord, that... uh, If there are scars that come to mind for people this morning, like like Pharaoh, we could say there are no human resources around me. that can fix this. There are no human resources that can change this. There are no human resources that's going to bring peace to my troubled soul. And so, Lord, we're asking today that um, you might bring your resources to bear your your sovereign grace the truth of your providence the fact that you for your sake of your people you do not waste a thing not even the hardest worst things we're desiring Lord that you would impart revelation. We're we're asking that you would break in. We're asking that you would give breakthroughs. We're asking that you would speak into people's lives, into specific people's specific situations. And we're trusting you to do this. You've made promise upon promise. And so, Lord, um, we're turning to you now and we're entrusting ourselves to you now. 
And would you impart to us by the work of your Spirit the grace, the power, the gospel power to transform us and to help us to reframe our experiences so that we might be free with a lay down our lives, love for one another, to build and engage and pursue and lean in and become a people, not only for one another's good, but for the good of the city and for the blessing of the nations. So what we ask for in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.